0: Hello, and welcome back to part two of my interview with Dan and Stephanie Holmes. If you missed part one, go back and listen to it. If you don't know me, I'm Jody Carlton, and I'm the host of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast. This podcast is for those of you who are in neurodiverse relationships. So maybe that means that you are neurodivergent. Maybe you, you're already diagnosed or you suspect that you're neurodivergent, which means you may be autistic, you think you are, you've got a grandkid that's diagnosed, and you really recognize some of those traits and characteristics in yourself, you've been researching, or you've got a partner that you really think has some of those traits and characteristics, and you're not really sure, this podcast is for you. If you're new, go back to, to season one or season two and listen through some of the episodes where I interview other people who are neurodivergent and are neurotypical partners, which means that you're not neurodivergent. The whole point of this uh, this podcast is to help people feel less alone. And I've also interviewed some professionals and I want to make sure you know that I want to speak to you. I want you to be on this podcast. We're getting ready for season 3. If you're interested in being a guest, just reach out to us Go to the website, jodycarlton.com, and go to the podcast tab, and there's a little link where you can submit a guest request form, and my assistant will reach out to you, and you can be on video if you want, you don't have to, um, you can just be audio only, you can be anonymous, that's okay, but I'd love to talk to you, so reach out. Also wanted to let you know that I'm going to be doing a workshop in October, on October 28th, I've changed the date to that. I think I said the 21st last episode. We have changed the date on that. And it is my workshop for my communication program. Now, this is a truly a life-changing communication program. It's a model that I've created and developed that I use in my own neurodiverse relationships with all of my neurodiverse people in my life, which there are many of them, and you met a lot of those folks in season two. And this communication model is really i break down the stages of communications in a way that other communication models don't so i'm doing a a live workshop a live virtual workshop october 28th that's a friday and it's 12 p.m to 4 p.m now once you join one of my live workshops you have access to those workshops for life and your enrollment for one of you includes you and your partner so i'd love to see you there on october 28th and we do have an early bird discount right now so get in on that. That's over toward the end of September. So you'll save $100 right now. So be sure and go and get registered before the early bird discount is over. And anyway, I'm going to go ahead and roll the, the tape with Dan and Stephanie so you can get to the second part of that interview. I want to circle back to the, the scripture. Um, because you know you guys are faith based, and and these folks hear me talk all day long about all these dynamics. But specifically for our faith based community, uh, how do you see um, scripture being weaponized? That was a, that's a that's a very strong word. Yeah. Um, so how do you see that happening in neurodiverse relationships? Well, I mean, just how the um, scripture
1: it, uh, describes itself that it is. a a sword sharper with two edges right so we can the scripture was meant to be a weapon against our enemy and meant to be a tool for our learning but sometimes we can turn that tool on another person to try to in my opinion spiritual abuse or use force to um, shame someone into doing what you want them to do you know, using scripture, faith, or God is not going to be happy with you. So the most common ones are in Ephesians 5, which is wives submit to your husbands. Um, another one is in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 4 and 5, that talks about your body doesn't belong to you, which usually is used as duty or coercion sex. Um, the wife has to be available, you know, at all times for their husband's needs, um, but not vice versa. Um, and then there's one in Timothy, not women be silent. You know, when, you're, when your husband backs through your silence, Um, So all of these things, again, um, are poorly exegeted verses. Uh, These were not meant to build doctrine around. They are part of a bigger letter. So all of the scriptures, especially Corinthians, Ephesians, those were letters to Paul, right? I mean, those are Paul, two people, where he was answering questions. There was something going on in Corinth, something going on in Ephesians, something he was communicating with Timothy. And he's answering a lot of things in this long document, but yet, sometimes we want to pick one or two verses out that make us feel good or fit our narrative or our belief and then turn that into a whole doctrine um, that it wasn't meant to be. As we were really um, studying, we've had a long time from the road this year. So we've been like doing podcasts and uh, Bible project and um, logo software and all the of stack and conferences. But um, you've really got to understand it, whatever it comes down to two main purposes uh, that scripture gives us, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So with those two principles, any scripture that you're going to use to tell someone else to coerce them or control them, how is that loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? How is that treating your neighbor better than yourself? We're supposed to treat our neighbor the way we want to be treated and love them like we love ourselves, Sometimes, when you're all this stuff about submission and control, and you have to be when you must, those aren't loving, trying, compassionate, connection, partnership words. They're one upmanship mm-hmm. words. And so, gotta keep, gotta keep taking scripture back to scripture. Uh, scripture doesn't argue against itself, it just supports itself, and it should go in with other principles um, of
0: scripture. Yeah. And I want to just tell you guys a couple of the comments and then Dan, I'd like to hear from you too on that. Um so Nathan's saying um with any weapon it can harm or be a tool. And Ben says, like any weapon, the ones who are least knowledgeable are the most dangerous to everyone around them. So that goes to what you're saying when we take those scripture out of context of the 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 letter to the to the community, uh that's when it can really be um Misinterpreted uh, if we don't look if we if we don't actually seek more knowledge about what does this mean, what context is this in um, Nathan is saying uh, wives wives submit to your husband's only if husbands lay down his life for his wife so he he's going back to the that servitude, the love um love first you, you know before that power and control piece seems to be what so many people get sucked into using scripture for us when we don't we're not quite getting what we want we want some maybe we're not trying wanting to take power over our partner but we're vulnerable or insecure or um fearful even and so we can use that scripture to back us up but that's not really how it's intended damn what what are your thoughts on this
2: i think if you've ever get accused of, or someone says, I think you're using that out of context or as a weapon, you should check their motivation. Cause you, you just hinted at it? What is the reason you might want to do that? Well, it's protection. It is preserving you instead of edifying someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, you, you pick up a, you pick up a hammer and you build a house with it to help someone else but you could also pick up a hammer and be club somebody over the head to protect yourselves. And it's all about the motivation. What is your, what is your end game? Are you protecting you? Are you hiding a vulnerability? Are you, are you protecting something you have, right? Is it a, is it a pride thing? Are you protecting your pride? Are you protecting your possessions? Are you protecting a, you of yourself that you don't, you know, are you protecting your identity that you don't want crashed? And so therefore, if you make the other person smaller, you at least get to remain the same size as you are, if not inflated in your own eyes. And that's really where that, that's really what that, I think church history kind of proves that. Um, if you look through what were the most egregious messes that churches made throughout the centuries, it was self-protecting. Mm-hmm. It was, I want to keep the I want to keep the citadel I've built. Mm-hmm. And usually you could you could find some kind of scripture that justified your behavior. When you're self-justifying, you probably will
0: yeah. So this self-preservation piece, this speaks to a struggle that we're we're kind of referring right now to people who use the scriptures to control preserve um so many of the, we sort of touched on this earlier so many of the the wives that I work with that are that are faith based are 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 very much wanting to be um To we touched on this before. To serve their their husbands and selfless and self uh, and and to be sacrificial. What would you say? So you just said to ask the person who is maybe using a scripture against you. You know what is what is your? I'm not sure you're using that the way it was intended. What's your motivation? That's a real. That's really good advice. Um, how how do women? preserve themselves but while still seeking to be
1: selfless so i definitely want to recommend a book i've used in bible study for those who are faith-based i'm in a bible study right now with um, neurotypical women in faith-based um, marriages and it's called the emotionally healthy woman by jerry's It's eight things you have to quit and um, i'm about to teach a lesson on uh, quit over functioning. So, it's one thing in a neurodiverse marriage. um, If you're the neurotypical person, you might be the executive function, or as one of my um, people says, the prefrontal lobe of the family. And so, there might be some things you're going to take on some more tasks because you are the one best suited, and that can feel frustrating. But at the same time, you've got to be careful because there's a fine line between accommodating, modifying, and empowering. To enabling and codependency mm-hmm. and you can be codependent in a christian relationship too so you can't also i tell the women i work with your identity is not in your marriage your not identity is not in how good of a wife you are your identity is not even in how good you serve your identity is in christ your identity is what he did for you and then your salvation and that no, there's nothing you can do to gain more love or not have his have his love And whatever happens in your marriage relationship, you're responsible to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your spouse with your heart, soul, and mind, you know, and and be mutual do what you can. But you can't take on, sometimes a spouse might say, well, if you wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have had a meltdown. No, an adult has the ability to, to regulate them all, their own selves. One word or saying that the wrong way doesn't give the other person the right to curse or name call or throw things or threaten. Um you've got to learn, you've got the skills um, to deal with that. So sometimes um, wives sometimes can get to almost a martyrdom, Um, like I've got to die for this marriage. Um, And my joke is usually actually Ephesians said, if someone's going to die, it's the husband. So don't don't take that on uh, to yourself. But I think just remembering where your identity is and that your motivation is to serve and to love well, but you've got to find that line between what, Overfunctioning is when the other person can do it, but you do it for them. If that person can do it, um, build the strategy, the modification, how to help. Like so, in our situation, Dan, before we knew he was on the spectrum, he would always tell me, he'd say one thing, only give me one thing. I can do like twenty things at one time. But as we kind of started going through the chores and dividing them up, I can handle twenty different things in a day. He might can only handle one. That's how cooking, one of the main chores. So it felt perfectly fair to me that if he took on cooking and meal, um, meal prep and groceries, I was like, I'll do everything else. I'll, I mean, I'll do them with you. On that one. <laughs> but that puts one thing in one category that he's good at, um, that unit his interest. Um, cooking was calming for him. It was stressful for me. Coming a from working on computers the and doing something creative in the kitchen. Turned out to be a good thing for him, something I dreaded at the end of the day. So as we kind of made our modifications, I had to take into consideration what's, what would be partnering, what would be something that he would enjoy doing that also wouldn't overtax or overburden him either, and then kind of work from there. So if it's a fine line. You want to serve well, but you cannot be found enmeshed uh,
0: or codependent. You cannot lose yourself in the marriage. Yeah, um, Dan, do you have, what, what do you want to add to that?
2: I guess I would encourage those that, you know, if, if you really can only do one thing, don't just rest in only doing one thing. Right. It, it, you can learn. I think everybody can learn. What you are right now isn't your final state.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's your other thing? So we know you're cooking. Uh, Stephanie, he just gave you the go ahead to give him another thing. What's What's right
1: now, it's probably sixty forty, sixty forty. Oh. I mean, because
0: we're are managing some
1: stuff with insurance, and if um, you've ever had to manage a claim with the insurance company, it comes a part time job. And I would say he's doing the majority of that <laughs> right now. Because <laughs> like, my job as a counselor, I can't stop and answer a phone. But uh, I think as we learn to talk and scaffold, we scaffold things in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it started with cooking, and then it started when we would make the grocery list together, but then I would add, you know, toilet paper or other things that he may not be aware of as he did the food part. And then we used to do grocery shopping together, and then he took over grocery shopping. And then he took over, well, I'll do Saturday errands, dry cleaning, Kroger, Walmart, while I'm out, you know, what else can I do? So it just kind of gradually added on and as the needs of our family change, because your, your marriage and your family has developmental stages too. Right there, so oh,
0: yeah, things. that that continual you know reassessment and relook looking again at where how do we need to shift? Um, Mary is saying yes, Stephanie. It's it's it can be complicated and requires discernment not to overfunction, uh, and that lots of healthy boundaries are key. And and I I want to you know I talk about codependency a lot in in with my folks here and. It's it's so prevalent in the neurodiverse couples. The neuro, it's prevalent in a lot of places. But I see that people who tend to have codependent traits or, or struggle with codependency and neurodiverse folks tend to like attract each other like magnets because um, codependent uh, a codependent personality is like you said all too willing to take on more than than is necessary and and will even do tasks, those enabling tasks, um, that a partner may be able to do or capable, but maybe they don't really want to. It takes effort, it's harder. And and my neurodiverse folks are all too willing to hand those things over. It's like, sure, take it from me. And so and and then my my codependent partners get resentful and and I'm doing too much and I'm you know, it's it's a big issue. And so when my, my faith community, I remember one woman specifically struggled with this so much, and I think she still is. I haven't heard from her in a while, but she kept saying, "Jody, how do I know? Where is the line between codependency and, and uh, just, just b- being a kind and compassionate person with my family? And, and the thing that I told her was it, the line is, is when it becomes to your devastation, when, when it is destroying you and it, it's harming you that is a line that that's we don't cross that line but also what you said is really important we don't want to do for others what they truly can do for themselves and this is important as a parent too you know we we have um we we're all familiar with the term helicopter parenting um which you know we hover and swoop in whenever our our children have an issue but now i don't know if you've heard the term lawnmower parent but the lawnmower parent just mows everything down in, the, in their children's path, you know where they don't even face any problems because I'm going to mow it down before they even get there. And you know, my daughter's a freshman in college right now, and I have to say, she's my neurodiverse kid, and in some ways, I, I'm, I'll take a little bit of credit for, for this, and she she also deserves a whole lot of credit, but I have pushed her really hard. And in a lot of ways, I'm seeing her, um, c- her cohort really struggle to, to know how to handle adversity because a lot of parents have have been the swoopers that swooped in and, and helped, and so for our neurodiverse couples, I can see how it's it's really translating into something positive in her life now because she's learned how Dan to step out of that comfort zone. And do things that were real. She went and got a job at Chick-fil-A when she was a junior in high school. And boy, she hated it because she was having to talk to people. And- but that comfort zone, stepping out of it's really important. And we have to, as partners, wives, husbands, and parents, we have to not step in and do for our, our people what they really can do with some effort. Uh, Mary's saying so true, Jody. I came very close to ending the marriage after lots of work on my own issues. I am, in retrospect, seeing that our challenges resulted in much needed transformation for me and grateful. Um, yeah, it, t- it takes both of us. Really, it's both partners. We have to be able to look at what are we bringing to this. I'm always asking, what are what are we? Br- what are you bringing to it? We all know what our partner's bringing to it. That's, <laughs> that's the easy part. Um, I have a question or a comment from Wendy. She says, as a neurodiverse, it's so easy for me to want to be that lawnmower parent because I faced so many difficulties as a child and I want to save my kids from similar pain. Yeah, it's, it always comes from a place of love and, and compassion. Um, but truly, we're robbing our children or our spouse, whoever it is, of the opportunity to grow in in those moments. Well, we're about to the end of our time here. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to make sure that we, that you shared or um, with, with our listeners? I would,
1: I am I'm putting put on spot and I hope you'll process it quickly, but I would like for you to share what I have heard you shared some of the men's groups about husband being a farmer and your family being the props kind of. Would you like put that succinctly?
2: try. <laughs> So the idea comes from the from the uh from Genesis. Adam's first job was effectively a farmer. And yeah, you can you can chase the etymology of the word husband back to, and depending on where you look, you'll get it one way or the other. But back to the effectively husband means farmer. Uh that means you could chase the two sides of the word. Uh but anyway, the the whole idea of a farmer was to you, you you only succeeded as a farmer if your effort put into farming was quality, right? You, your goal was I need a healthy crop because that's the only way as a farmer you really succeeded. I mean, if you considered a agrarian culture, that was what you were after. That was your source of livelihood. That's what you ate that day. That's what you were going to eat next week. So your, your goal was I need to plow the field. I need to make sure it's water. I need to plant quality seed. I need to make sure the varmints don't get it. I need to protect it. I need to cultivate, right? Do you think of the word cultivate? What is that? It's cultivating. The, The idea of cultivation is also in the, in the vine idea. When Jesus says that, you know, he's, he gives it the analogy of the vine and he's pruning that cultivating idea. So the If you consider, if you use that as a, and I like to use it as a kind of a model in the household, you know, when you start, you know, you start the family when you get married and then you are constantly cultivating. Yes, you reap a benefit, but that's not your primary goal. Your goal is to see the cultivation reap its own reward, right? Because as your crops grow, they produce their own seed. That seed continues to produce and it continues to produce. And you can see, you know, just like I I think the analogy is obvious in that point. But the goal is I am a cultivator first. And if I reap a reward because of it, and it's true, there is a true sowing and reaping law, then I I do get a reward. But my heart, my goal, my motivation, I'll go back to that word, my motivation is to cultivate. Farming is hard. Farming is daily. If you've ever had anything, you're just trying to grow a small four by four plot. You know, it doesn't take long for the thing to get in it. And you've now got a big pile of weeds that's bigger than your tomato plant. It's not, you know, it takes a weekend and you could have lost control over it. Right. So it is that idea, it is that level of vigilance, it's that level of mentality, it is that motivation that you get to grow by growing.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. i love that and stephanie i'm so glad that you asked dan to share that I'm, i'm i'm seeing my images of my stepfather and his yard are coming to mind he absolutely stood out there and studied the the seed the seeds the growth patterns the how much water he he had they they dug this well that was 250 feet deep so he could keep everything watered and it was just so much effort there and and th- that image just came to me as as you were talking about it. And if we put that much effort and love and care into our families as husbands and wives, a farmer's wife has a huge role on the farm. So you know, we we read those seeds, like you said, and it's exponential. And but it's our livelihood. You know, if if we don't pay attention and cultivate that garden, then it, it will not grow and, and there will be weeds.
2: It's it. Something grows.
0: Yes. Yeah. grows, Yes. I, I think that's a, a wonderful analogy. I'm, I'm really glad you guys share that. Thank you. Well, I, I'm going to say one more thing that I've
1: heard you share that you didn't share. He, he also gave an analogy once of like, um, growing different flowers in a, um, like a, a hothouse and different flowers or plants require different things. So as a, a, a husband, as a farmer, it's also up to you to know. What does a poinsettia need? What does a orchid need? One of our children is a orchid. And one is a little more steady, hardy plant. I'm a hardy plant. Uh, But you've got to know what's the soil, what's the climate, what's the environment? What are the things that this person, this flower needs to grow? Because you can't apply everything to everyone, everything in your garden. So um, that's another part of the analogy I've heard him teach that I really love because it also means curiosity back to your word. Curiosity, understanding what the development is appropriate. And is my family thriving under my care? Or
0: are they just surviving?
2: Were they thriving despite my
0: right? Well, yeah, that's that's powerful too. And, you know, I promise those of you who are watching, we did not plan this, but it's so interesting because I use the analogy of weeds in your garden all the time. Um, it with my couples that I'm working with. And 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 we talk about, hey, you know, um, you can look out there and see weeds that are growing in your garden and you can go and you can whack them down you 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 know but you're not going to really get to the root of the problem until you get to the root of the weed and pull it pull it out one at a time or figure out what's going on because and that that's an analogy for the relationship work that I do you can try to plow on past these issues and not pay attention to why you know, the curiosity is really important, figuring out who's an orchid, who's a who's a hardy plant, but figuring out why are these weeds here? What what you know, where are these seeds coming from? Because every issue that's happening in in a relationship has a root. There's a why, you know, how we feel about something, our beliefs, our values, our expectations, all of it's rooted in something. So that just goes right along with the analogy that I use. So again, thanks. Dan and Stephanie, I I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, y'all. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Bye, Stephanie. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Bye, Dan.